Akashina Podcast Anime with Friends. I am Sabrina Ray, and I want to talk about names. While anyone can change their name and choose a new one, doing so is usually reserved for new brides and people entering witness protection. I am currently neither of those, as far as any of you all know, but I am a third thing, a trans woman, and I abandoned a dead name and chose a brand new first and middle name. While I've discussed what these names mean to me elsewhere, I don't think I've ever spoken of it here specifically. So I'm just going to get into that first, and then I promise, guys, I'm coming to you very quickly. Um, so, sorry. I abandoned my dead name and chose a brand new first and middle name. Blah, 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 blah. The origins of my first name are not all that fascinating. The name I used as a male was Brian, and for a time I thought I was going to go change it to Sabri- uh, to Brianna and go by Brie, but I had finished watching something on netflix and bam suddenly sabrina the chilling adventures of came on and i was like i feel like a sabrina uh ray is a much more interesting story it's partially inspired by ayanami ray from neon genesis evangelion and it's a nod to my formative anime years but it's also the name of my paternal grandfather who had passed not too long before and he never really got to meet me as a woman as i am today but He nonetheless taught me how to be a man, (laughs) ironically, perhaps, um, not as a template for myself, really, but how to recognize those qualities in men or people I admire, I guess. Now, Don, Victoria, I'm guessing neither of you have changed your names, but perhaps you could talk about the various handles you use on the internet on here for or on the Discord. I would love to. Um, Let's see. Uh, what what am I? I believe on Discord I'm am I uh, I'm Nosfenter. Okay, great. So I was very excited. My one of my first entry points to all video games um, was Ultima Five. That's going um, back. <laughs> it is. It w- well, it was one of my main entry points. It was at the time. Um, you know, these these were floppy disks five and a quarter inch floppy disks that you had to insert into a computer there were four different disks for ultima 5 um, that's not right there should have been five disks <laughs> there were not however um and i you needed to swap between them as you're doing various things um the graphics were tile-based graphics um so for those of you listening who aren't aware if you make a tile um that looks like a tree then you just repeat that tile multiple times and there you have a forest um so the graphics were very in not sophisticated um the color scheme was pretty basic uh but the plot was fascinating to me um and this was well before any cogent sense of the internet i think we had dial-up modems I may have had a 2048 baud modem, um, which I could occasionally dial up into. You had to dial up into like, I don't know more you could dial up into. This was before ISPs, before um, like AOL online or anything of that nature. So I couldn't research the game. I couldn't unlock its secrets by uh, going online and looking up like, well, what do you do? I remember those days. Yeah. You had to buy the hint book. <laughs> 
Yeah, or you just had to play the gosh darned game. And in the case of Ultima 5, it was perhaps the purest version of me doing just that. I played that game to completion. And are you saying you I, never called the hint line, the 900 no, I number? Never, absolutely oh, not. My to parents Origin would have, Systems Online would have crucified me if I'd done that. That's a totally different story and we can get into it. But um I I did I played this game for well over a year. Um hours at a time and my character I you know there were times I I played the game and then eventually my character would die and I was like that's it I I have to start over um and I was learning as I was going and I learned different things about you know where my character could go and I would even near the end we were getting very dicey because the um the game started to uh corrupt because the discs were getting old and used and um, I remember in particular in the game, you could learn these words of power that would have different actions taking place at different locations. Yeah, and yeah. occasionally when it got corrupt, if I sort of just banged on the keyboard and pressed enter, the game would think that was a word of power, um, which was kind of fun, but also, you know, like well, what's going on here. But the what's funny though, is I just want to mention for the audience that this is actually an isekai game because the character of the avatar comes from our true. world and goes into the world of Britannia. That's exactly right. Um, and in fact, that theme is repeated. I mean, that, that series continued to go on many times and I played it, but we're to, to get back to the, the core here, you know, this game was very formative on my entire experience and it would be like, I don't know, sitting down with Elden Ring and not having a hint book and just being like, I have to play Elden Ring for hours and hours and hours to actually try and figure out all the secrets that like having done, having played the game, but obviously having access to the secrets, that just sounds insurmountable. But I actually did that with Ultima 5. And this username I have, which I was use a, in various Was it a places, cheat code? What Was what a cheat code? Nosfentor? No, Nosfentor is one of the names of the three Shadow Lords that are the like evil villains in that game. You don't even figure them out for years. So Nosfentor um, is the shadow lord of uh, lies, deceit. No, no, that's wrong. He's the shadow lord of cowardice. Nosfentor is the shadow lord of cowardice. Why did you choose the shadow lord of cowardice? Well, there's three. There's Astaroth, Falini, and uh, Nosfentor. And I... I don't really use Astaroth because that's also the name, I believe, of a an Asian god. Um, Was your strategy like, running away? <laughs> no, I. I mean, in the game, these shadow lords were very powerful, and you would you would often perish when when dealing with them. Um, I, I'm remembering now. I didn't restart the game. You were resurrected by uh, Lord British. <laughs> When when you died, and I did die quite frequently. I remember dying because I just I just picked a fight with the guards and like 40 of them come out and just wail on you. Absolutely. I mean it does sort of it it's there are a lot of parallels to this uh FromSoft game. But anyway, um there was Astaroth, who I don't use because it's too it's not common, but it's uh it's associated with this other religion. And so I feel like common. That's not a good I know idea. like five Astaroths. <laughs> Um, Nosfenter and Falini, and I use the latter two. Falini was the shadow lord of deceit, so lies, and then Astaroth was hatred. Um, and I just thought they were cool names, and I uh, 
and I continue to use them, and they are my quiet pay-in to Ultima 5, my my real, uh, a, a true love of my video gaming past. I cannot, I even now remember the absolute thrill I had when I, um, I you asked and you're getting much more than you asked for, but uh, there was a point at which in Ultima 5, you could learn a little, t- you could walk up to a piano tile and play the piano um, using the numbers on your keypad. And you could also at some point learn a little ditty um, that apparently was enjoyed by Lord British when he was a child. And there's a (laughs) secret part of the game where you sort of climb up and avoid the guards that you just mentioned, uh, Sabrina, and you find a sort of a weird room um, that is Lord British's enclave before he was... Uh, he was banished by um, Blackthorn. I remember did, all this. I loved you, this. Game. Did you play? Did you play it on a harp or something? You, like no, notice you play it on the piano. You play it on the piano in his like room, and all of a sudden, the entire like there's an earthquake that happens, and a special room opens up, and you walk back in that room, and you find a sandalwood box. That's right, and, the sandalwood box, and you get the box and you have no idea what it's about. And there are no clues or hints related to that at all in the game until the very end, when you descend to the bottom of the darkest dungeon and, and you, the guy's there and he's like, Hey, do you have my sandalwood box? Exactly. You go in and you're passed through this sort of spirit doorway and you're in the room with Lord British. And he asks you, do you have my box? And I actually saved the game before this. So I went back and did it. What happens if you don't have the box? Um, and so I went in there. I was like, if you don't have the box, he's like, the box, the sandalwood box that is, you know, hidden in my, in my, 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 my chambers. And if you say, I, no, I, I don't have your box. He's like, well, we're going to be here a long time then. And your character is no longer in your control. And he just goes over and like sits down at the table and all the members of your party just sort of scatter and hang around. And that's it. It just sits there. There's no, you can't interface with the game. You can't do anything. It just locks you. Now, if you do have the sandalwood box, you give it to him. He opens it up. He pulls out what ends up being, a like a, I think it's called the Moonstone, opens up a portal, rushes out. He crushes Lord Blackthorn. Um, and the realm is restored to its former glory. Uh, and, wow. you know, you win the game. Um, but I... I mean, Next if you did I'm not the have, store, I'm going to have a whole new appreciation. <laughs> in fact, the Moonstone forms the whole basis of like Ultima Five or Ultima Six and Ultima Seven. Um, but it, you know, the the level of satisfaction I felt from having done all this completely on my own, no, you know, no ideas, n- no hints. Um, I mean, I I can't. It was, it was a feeling I have never since replicated in any games. And yet, you replicate that experience every time you appear as Nosfentor on the Discord. You're right. It's that it's that echo that resonates within my soul like a bell. I will say, I I must have spent like 15 minutes giving that description, and I could talk more about it. But I am going to stop. You asked me, you know, what is what is that name? And I've given you a full throated reasoning of of uh where that comes from wow so there you go thank you thank you for that that 
Wait, why? Why is the name? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was listening the whole time. Everyone was <laughs> shifty eyed looks to the side. Uh, Victoria, Victoria, keep it a little bit shorter than that. How about 10 minutes? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just kind of bounced around from name to name during. Oh, my you're music. a vagabond. I, yeah. Partly because I was just trying to figure out what fit or, you know, cycling through various fandoms. And sometimes because I just didn't want to be recognized from place to place, especially if I had said something mean. Um, Are you often saying mean things? As a teenager? Oh, Um, I see. I see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Um, Now, never, never. I'm so nice. Um, shifty eyes um but anyway so i think i just started playing with like rhymes with the syllables my name and like ended up with Vixical. that's cute and i feel like it fits and especially since that's the name for my psn id and such i think i'm just stuck with it now i don't mind i think i think it's i think it's playful and suitable um i think it's cool and and the fact that you're playing no i was just gonna say the fact that you're playing virtual on under that title and you're bringing glory to your name I think you're. I think you are stuck with it. Well, I was going to say that they that nobody knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> like, uh, I've, had to, I've had to start putting the like the um, like a katakana pronunciation in my entries because like where's hosting is just like. Have you tried changing the capitalization of every other letter? <laughs> no, I'm not in my Tommy February era anymore. No, okay. Right, that's that's the that's a that's possibly a more niche reference to the ultimate thing. Um, long story short, the J-pop singer was popular around the turn of the century, and she just kind of went through a phase where she would, where she would kind of sticky caps her titles to be cute or ironic or both. I just remember a certain period, probably late '90s, early 2000s, when every like Asian screen name, <laughs> all the writing was like. One capital letter, one small letter, one capital letter, one lowercase letter. Uh, just it was just the style at the time. <laughs> it's very, it was very annoying to read in hindsight. But I just remember a lot of my friends had that. Um, the reason I bring up names is because we haven't really discussed that on Sunny Boy, the the series that we're covering, the Isekai series, kind of Isekai. Um, in which a bunch of students get lost in uh, this series of worlds uh, and they have to try and get get back. That's where we're at currently in the series, episode five. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the names because I think that that's something that uh, we just sort of didn't get into. Uh, so we should start with our hero, Nagara. Um, and you guys can jump in anytime you have something to add, but I have a couple places where I wanted to ask you some questions. But Nagara, I think, kind of straightforward, kind of sounds like Nagare or the flow of things or flowing, you know, like a river. Um, so I just think he's possibly the one who goes with the flow. It seems to match his character. Would you kind of agree with that? I mean, Nagara is also a way to say, like, to do two things at once, like, as you're doing one thing, you're doing another, but I'm not really sure that fits. Did we check the kanji use for their names? I didn't check the kanji. I only checked the sound. Okay. Uh, but I can go to ones that are more 
obvious. Uh, yeah, and no, I'm just looking looking at it because it's the God. I know both these kanji. I just don't know what they mean out of context. <laughs> a lot of times, kanji in Japan too are just there for the sound, since they come from uh, Chinese words borrowed. Um, like Maya has a kanji for her name, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Like you couldn't translate it one to one. It just looks pretty. So there's like there's different types of names that are like that. Like it totally could be that the the name has specific meanings to it. But actually, I think that's I'm pretty sure that's the naga is from long. Yeah. So like I said, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anything about him is long per se, but uh, his face. What is that? Oh, his face. His face. I guess you do say mean things. Maybe you should change your name again. Yeah. Mean Vixicle or Dark Vixicle. Uh, next up, we have Nozomi, which is not an uncommon name for a girl in Japan. I've heard it before. It means something you desire or a wish, which I think lines up with her character's power, sort of reaching out for this glimmer that's just out of reach. More on that in episodes, I think it was six or seven. Um, then there's Rojani which Google informs me means capital city or metropolis in Hindi. It's also the name of a series of trains that get the highest priority in <laughs> India. <laughs> I want to be a high priority train. Uh, Dawn, it sounds like you're volunteering to offer some thoughts on why that name might be significant to the character. Well, you put me on the spot there. No, I, I can't, I can't draw parallels between what you've just given me and and the particular character, aside from the fact that the character is Indian. So right. the fact that I mean, it has meaning in India works. Um, and it could have just been, I know a train called Rajani, so that's the name I'm going to use for this character. Uh, Victoria, did you think it described his role or him in some way? A yeah, word that means he's, capital? He's kind of like the center the center and the, like the technological wealth of the group yeah i think well, that seems good. like a really impersonal way to put it but no i think it works yeah. uh mizuho i mean there's the mizuho banks and the financial group uh, uh that that could be a connection or do you find it imperfect is that an o like oh that makes sense or is that an o like oh I don't know uh, about that. It, it, it was a form. It was the former, but I, you know, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling mean. So it's the, it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mizuho themselves describe their name as a fresh harvest, a fruitful country. Also Japan. <laughs> it's another, it's a poetic code for Japan itself. Uh, which is interesting because in these episodes, Mizuho actually at one point wonders what the hell her power actually is. Her power seems to be wish, commerce. I don't know. She she has cats deliver things. <laughs> yeah, but it's the economy. Uh, that's I mean, way to describe such a powerful ability in a most mundane way like she has like entire homes delivered she she has like uh, jumbo jets worth of stuff delivered 
by a pair of cats. Okay, uh, it, name it her frankly, power. Um, it's creation. I guess Amazon. Well, but <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> but I mean that's actually literally the name of it. I mean, we well we haven't. You're absolutely right, but what we haven't. I don't see that they've actually pushed the limits of what can she request something that no one is aware of ever having been made before. Obviously she can order. She appears to be able to order anything that was made with the, the, that the students are aware of that could have been ordered in their existing time. Right. I think so. I don't know if that, I don't know that it, we need to get hung up on the specifics of like. No, but I, I mean, it's it's fascinating to think about that as like a power and what the limits on mm-hmm. it are. Right. right? Like if you're there for a thousand. Power. No. Yeah. Well, if you're there for a, a, a thousand years, does that mean that you can start ordering things that people a thousand years from now might be able to order? <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> a, a pocket nuclear know. reactor. I don't know, but Rajani on the other hand, is able to conjure things from his imagination, apparently. So it seems to be the other side of that coin. One of, like, the, things related. Makes, one of the things he makes at one point is Tokimiki Memorial. But it's like Tokimiki Donnie. It was like one of the Game Boy games. Oh, I thought that was, was that, that was, I thought that was Mizuho that made that. The Game Boy game? No, it's probably him. I mean, that would be that would be weird if she made if she made. I mean, the only thing weirder than making a dating sim about yourself is probably making a dating sim about your friend, your classmate. So interesting. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I I thought it was a cute reference. Um, Tokimoki Memorial being like one of the really big dating sim, like PC dating sims of the '90s, was also on the Saturn, I think. Yeah, I was not very good at it. I just found it very dull. I mean, I I never I never played it, but it probably would have gone really badly with our my family's Japanese ability. We had like this. Oh, my goddess. No, not oh, my goddess. Um, Sakura Wars dating sim. They both have the same character designer. So that's why I got mixed up. Um, Yeah. And not knowing not knowing any Japanese, my dad and I just used to compete to see who would get kicked out faster. Or like kicked out of the school it took place in. Yeah, yeah. I won. I won that. You did. <laughs> yeah, but then the dad moved the goalpost and said that his was funnier. His like his loss is funnier because he got kicked out for going into the girls' room. <laughs> and I, I said that. I said that was moving the goalpost. Anyway. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> just to go through the last couple names here: Hoshi, the star, the, su- the distant sun, the one who shines their light on other people and attracts their attention. Kind of a politician. Uh, Pony is the class rep. Cap is the jock leader. I don't know where to go with those, but Asakaze is the one who comes up in this episode. Um, It means morning breeze. It's kind of ironic for someone who seems to want to bash through their problems and break windows and stuff. Not the things I I associate with a morning breeze. It's a brisk morning breeze. <laughs> on like the on the British Isles or something. Like <laughs> All right, episode five. We're talking about interesting titles, I guess. Leaping Classrooms is the name of this one. 
uh, why classrooms uh, are each of these biomes supposed to be representing little chances to learn something like uh, for each of the students who are captive there or, you know, like to call them classrooms, unless you're literally talking about classrooms, but the only classrooms we really see are I mean, we, we don't see those classrooms until later episodes. So this time we've just got the island and its various locales. So does the title mean anything to you guys or? I think the worlds are. <laughs> no, go ahead. All the worlds are classrooms. Right, they, they are. learn from them. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that interpretation. Although... You know, we see sort of th there are tangible lessons and maybe intangible lessons that we get. Like, and uh, inscrutable the first one, lessons. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, they all seem to be inscrutable. It, there's no, I, I have yet in what I've seen to learn anything that connects or is concrete in any of these. But you do, like in the first one, we got the mouse, the mice. The uh, mouse. And you get the, you get the, the mouse mice. that can unravel things. So... That's, you've learned something, you've gained something, <laughs> but the right, utility they've, is... They've apparently picked up these little rewards through their various adventures, and they've got like, a, and uh, Rajani has a little collection of them. Uh, the mouse it's is just Raj the Dhani, latest. The sorry. I'm sorry. I, totally I figured it's like, I gotta, I gotta like... Rajdani, sorry. Yeah, before it keeps going. <laughs> and Rajdani has a little collection of them, so... Um, <laughs> which i mean they don't all seem to be as useful as the others the one the one that they demonstrate is mizuho putting on the glasses and seeing them all as old people which is just used to deliver the gag about when she looks at nagara and sees him as especially old and uh not nearly as <laughs> i don't i don't know if attractive is the right word but sprightly yeah he just seems a lot more <laughs> decrepit missing some teeth yeah so i mean to get to that first to get to this world's this this first world's um when i say first world's i mean the first world in this episode to get to that reward they have to solve this mouse puzzle uh and they're in their little pocket world it's filled with these flat pixelated mice that are prey to pac-man like cat predators um and as I was saying, Asakaze, not the gentle breeze. He wants to kind of stomp the bad guys out. But Mizuho and Nagara are against anything that might hurt or kill them. And, and of course, earn them the reward. So <laughs> brute force is probably not the way there. But of note here is that the mice are all white, but there's one red mouse. <laughs> and when they poke the red mouse something happens that sort of like opens up this new perspective to thinking about solving this puzzle. And I have no idea how they solve this puzzle. <laughs> I, I don't know if either of you recognized any of these things, but um, they draw, they draw some kind of geometric lines that divide the, the mice into boxes or, and, 
they have to use the power of Asakaze to... That's the scientific name for whatever he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> they like funnel them out to safety. Yeah, and they were able to funnel them out to safety, but it's not really clear to me like what they did exactly. They just mathed their way to a solution. Uh, but the Red Mouse being sort of a leader is interesting. Is this a red mouse wave coming? Is it? <laughs> is it a leader? I don't know. Or what is? Or it? is it? What did you see it as? I saw it as you were trying to help that mouse escape. Just the one mouse. Oh, is that the one that turns into the reward? Yeah, that's what I was thinking might be the case. Maybe, but the reward is white. Yes, well, the reward is also a physical mouse that makes sounds like an actual mouse. So there are other <laughs> That is adorable, by the way. I love the, I love the sounds coming off of that mouse, the squeaking sounds in Japanese. They're adorable. Yeah, it's like an old keyboard mouse, but it makes like animal mouse sounds and like bounces around. It's very, it's very cute. Also, it's great that we start off with all this surreal, like problem solving and Nagara coming out of one of Rajdani's like what looks like a Burger King play area with like the the slides and the like his his design sense is whimsical. Uh but last episode we were left off with a cliffhanger and they don't immediately start with that. Like this person saying that they're their teacher Ms. Aki, like, came out of the sea, out of nowhere, yelling about how none of them were... I don't even actually know if it was last week that, that she yelled, but she came out and, like, claimed to be their teacher. And or she just kind of came out and was recognized as their teacher. We don't see we don't see what she actually said until later in this episode. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all, I think they were all looking at her buxom, bosomy... Resting can... boobily through the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> she managed to a... stay dry as well. I'm not quite sure she managed that. How dry was she, Dawn? You know, you keep trying to make this dirty, but like, you're the one. <laughs> I wasn't I'm talking. Not... It's, it's obviously not dirty if she was dry. I mean, it's, but you're implying like, she umbrellas. wasn't. They're like boobrellas. Yeah, that's true. Probably yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really, it really doesn't. But that's what makes it good. Um, yeah, the mouse has a bizarre power, though, which in most shows, you know, it would lead somewhere. I'm not saying it's not going to lead anywhere ever, because I haven't watched episodes nine through twelve. But uh, the mouse has the power to unravel things or solve them or, you uh, know, go into small spaces like in <laughs> what was it ultima seven where there was a mouse character you remember with that one would uh you you had to befriend to the mouse ultima. and join your party yeah oh no ultima is the new sundance fest film festival <laughs> <laughs> i have managed to stop chatting about that okay yeah no the so we have we get the mouse yeah and uh we, it, we, la- we, get we the later 
we later find out that the mouse can be used to solve like puzzles. Like it could have been very useful in helping you to figure out what to do with the sandalwood box. If, should you have wanted to know? <laughs> should, should I have one or to decode? Uh, that's, that's what it can do, right? It, 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 it can decode of... things. Yeah. Uh, it solved the word decode <laughs> by decoding yeah, it literally. Uh, but then it did nothing. So, I mean, that's just, I think it's just an example of something that powers that these little rewards can give them, but it never actually comes back into the episode again. (laughs) I wrote in my notes, uh, where was this power when Rivers Cuomo needed to destroy his sweater? And then I said to my, and then I wrote after Uh, it, this reference uh, is too old. (laughs) Uh, Shut up. Even when it was new. Even when it was new, it was great. It's it's a proper proper reference, though, at least. It's not The Simpsons, which we swore off earlier. (laughs) Off camera. Anyway, we finally got back to the cliffhanger, sort of. Uh, Students are in hot debate about their hot teacher trying to tell them that they cannot go back. They can't go back because there's no, there's there's no returning to their world, and they should just give up. And she she the, the doubt begins to cast in Nagara's direction. He's the one who puts you here, and and she starts saying that maybe students, not maybe, she insists that students were manifesting powers even before they went adrift, meaning that some of them had them beforehand, and it's like. They're, she's kind of gaslighting them. I mean, I, that's how I saw it. Uh, but they trust her because she's this sudden authority figure and all they've been doing is following their peers who seem to have some clue, but no one's gotten them home. So nobody's nobody's got the answers, right? Uh, that's what kids do though, right, Victoria? They just trust adults blindly. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I think all the I, I think one running theme is that is that all the kids are sort of either looking looking for some sort of authority figure in this in these worlds in the, this world or they're trying to become those authorities them, themselves like trying to become that like that you know become that like voice of reason even when they probably don't have any more claim to it than anyone else. I'm glad you said voice of reason because. Hoshi tries to be a voice of reason and finds yeah. that sort of like power that she'd amassed has kind of dissipated and people find her preachy and annoying. Um, the next scene to me is probably the most puzzling of this episode in particular. Uh, Don, do you remember this? It happens at, at sunset and it's it's kind of hard to determine when it happens chronologically, but Nagara meets with Mizaki and she's she's just right out the gate. She's like, you made this all for them. And he's like, I'm not a big deal. It's not me. And she's like, you're special. And it seems like they're they're like leaning into that whole like trope of like, you're the one, Neo. Asakaze, not Nagara. Yeah, no, no, no. Asakaze is later, right? No, no. I I agree with uh, Victoria. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she doesn't. 
it's not Nagara at that time. She is courting. Uh, sorry, what was the name again? I do Asukaze. believe she's courting him, Asukaze. but I thought that was Nagara. I nope. guess when I, I guess I don't think she ever really I guess talks I expected to Asakaze mm-hmm. to be more. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, abrupt, like blunt. <laughs> like Nagara is such a, a navel gazer, and that felt like such a navel gazy kind of scene. Where he's like, I'm nothing, you know, I'm nothing special. And she's like, oh, no, no, you created this hole. That's like awesome. Oh, you're saying that 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 was Asakaze. Yeah. Who doesn't actually think he created anything, but she's trying to convince him he created something. So you've explained it to me. Yeah. I. It makes so much more sense that that would be the case. It's just that I couldn't tell the difference for some reason. <laughs> it's like all depressed people seem the same. Yeah. Nice. I mean, she just she doesn't really she doesn't really talk to Nagara. She's like she's like not like she almost like doesn't care what it seems like she just doesn't care what he thinks, like what he thinks about it. It's more about building her own faction and Asakaze is like her Jesus guy who can like separate the oceans or whatever. This I am I, I'm probably mixing religious figures, but that's because I'm really pretty atheist. <laughs> I mean Jesus probably could have separated the oceans if he wanted to. Uh, y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I won't claim that I'm religious, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with if that's what Jesus wanted, that would have happened. I remember in the Bible where it says that Jesus did a hadoken and it went into what, the ocean uh, and split which, the which sea. Book, which book of the Bible was this? The book was of this, the um, Bible. <laughs> The book of Bible Fighter 2. <laughs> Bible Fighter 2. Yeah. More biblical than ever. Um, I'm sure that was shovelware at some point, right? If not, Bible it should Fighter have been. Two. Turbo. Yeah. Got to speed it up by 23% or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be wrong there because this makes way more sense for me. <laughs> Uh, uh, was there was I wrong or was there like a, a, a like a flying glittering I want to say it was a dildo but it wasn't what, what, what was I uh, looking at I that's um what <laughs> at one point there's just this there's just this like weird long I mean I think I guess something flies out of the hole but Flies out of the hole. Mm. But like, I, th- I thought it was just because he's like digging the hole. Oh, it's literally that's... like long and glittery. It's uh, like a little pole. I'm not really sure what it is. But I mean, no one really cares really about that. So I'm going to remove that part. No. In the next scene, we find out. That, <laughs> in the next scene, we find out that Rajdani has been collecting rewards from every world. Blah, blah, blah. We already did that. In the face of this easy authority, uh, represented by Mizaki, the students mostly turn on Nagara. We already really talked about that. So let me get it started here. Nagara is at his worst, justifying why he sucks at fishing. (laughs) But it's part of his journey, so I don't really want to blame him too much. But I I did like the conversation that happened here, uh, where he's sort of the pessimist, you know, and Nozomi's like, people aren't born with purpose. They have to find it on their own later. Uh, What we have is like, what we have from the start, you know, but that doesn't give you the excuse to just like, just not, 
not do anything or not discover those things that you can do just because you're not like born with a gift. And it reminds me, like when I tried to learn guitar, my the, the person I was learning from, I always thought they were just like, I don't know if the word idiot savant is right, but like, I always thought they were just like great at guitar. They was just like a natural talent. But like many of those things, those things came through like constant and continued practice and suffering. And, you know, I think we do tend to look at people who have, who, who seem to have innate talent and, and sort of dismiss some of the, the effort and the the hours that go into building towards the towards the realization of of that talent that bears fruit um and i just kind of like isn't it where do you guys side here is nozomi right or do you sort of side more with nagara's pessimism that like this sort of uh inaction is justified by not being given those gifts from birth. Team Nozomi. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I can't do this because I'm not talented, but really that's like, that's, 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 that's only part of it. That's really only part of it. Like. I always describe that to my daughter as, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, you know, you can probably learn to play any instrument in your lifetime, you have the time uh, allotted to you in years. Most of most of us, I would think. Uh, but you know, if you get arthritis, if you've got fingers that won't bend the right way, you may have to struggle more than somebody else who has more dexterous, uh, more of the right build. Like piano is a good example because, like piano can be difficult for people with stubby fingers to play. It's easier to play, supposedly, if you've got long, slender fingers. Or if you're tall playing basketball. Right, or if you're tall playing basketball. But that doesn't mean that you can't. But there are there might be limits to how far you can go. Don, you're quiet. I, I mean, I think you can and, and should stretch your limits. I mean, I think that's part of the human condition. Um, if you limit, and especially, you know, when you're young, you realize that you, that you are able to do more things as you grow and change. I like what you said about limits because it does, it mean it leans into a scene later too, where, you know, fear stops Nagara from doing the things that he can do, but Nozomi is one to dive right in and a she's able to do those things even with the fear because the fear drives her. So I don't know what I want to say about that. I just wanted to say it. (laughs) It's a really beautiful sequence too. Like just visually, Uh, like I love, um, when we first seen fishing, it's like, we just see the, there's like lights on the fishing thing or like buoys in the water or something. But anyway, we just see that like, illuminating the water and then and then um when nozomi pulls nagara into the water so they can see the minnows that she describes as spirit guardians or something yeah Yeah. it's just it's just really it's just really pretty really beautiful like i don't think you get this like super often from a t from a tv anime just this very like 
cinematic feeling scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to move on to the next episode. Um, We go from that scene into one where it's revealed. This is our big reveal in the episode that it's not like they've moved to a new Island. It's that there's a new Island on top of the old one. And the old one is still there somewhere and they find it. So Nagara's power isn't just switching slides. He's what he's making shit, but you guys think that there's multiple powers that are making shit. And it seems to be that we're leaning in that direction. No. Yeah. I mean, especially on rewatch, I'm thinking it's like, it feels like all the characters are trying to make sense of what's happening, but it's that it's not really that clear cut. Yeah. I I can't remember if it was that episode where like, or the next where like Mizuho is saying she heard from, she's the reason she made, she heard from God that she's the reason they went adrift. You know, Nagara's being blamed as the reason they went to drift. Um, point Hoshi has also thinks he has the word of God and, you know, knew that it, the school was going to a drift. Like, like, I, I think, I think, I think they're really trying to just make sense, make sense of what they can't control or can. Yeah, I agree with that. So we're into the episode, the long goodbye, which I thought was just, really just very visually clever i loved all the camera tricks and things they were using uh like there's this the the world that they focus on this time isn't so much a world as it is this like room with uh with old footage from their lives and uh a projector and so it's not just footage from their lives. It's like footage from lives and a projector, like memories, I should say. And the projector shows what Nagara sees, which is interesting, you know, main character syndrome much. (laughs) And then by changing different variables, even just the focus, it changes the world around them. So, like, at one point, we've got Mizuho on a beach or in, in, back near the the place where they usually gather. And she's got this, like, SOS button machine. And they're testing different ideas. And one of the things they try out is adding the monkeys from episode four back in just for dawn really because he loved them so much love those monkeys um and they appear and they leave a banana on her head and it's just a very fun silly gimmicky thing that's also kind of smart like they're able to to change reality with this camera um and the editing program that rajdani built yeah. And he uses he uses the mouse for this actually. He does so use the mouse not, for yeah. this, but does the mouse solve things or is it just being used as a mouse? I don't think you can just use it as a mouse though cuz every time you bring it near something it decodes it. That's true. So I could have been wrong when I said that it wasn't used to decode something. It might be used to 
mesh those two realities together. Yeah, honestly, I think I think I originally said something, uh, probably like off camera, that about the mouse not coming up again, but it does. It does come right up there. again. Look, the show is smarter than we think it is. It comes up again, but is it? Does it make sense to us? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't yeah, a, have to. It, it really doesn't. It really doesn't have to. I think. Um, I just kind of want to put this out there because I. I think. Um, I, I really think with the show, it's like it's important not to kind of get caught up on like trying to figure out what everything means and feeling like you're so smart for it because you're going to get like you're you're probably not you're probably not going to be able to figure it out. This is a very this is a very auteur work. Um, but if you just kind of sit back and let it happen, like you'll find yourself intuitively understanding it. And it's also just like it's a trip through director Natsume's minds. Like we're not, you know may not be may not be on the same page and understand exactly what he means through everything but like just that just that creativity is so nice it's so nice to see it's just a very human experience what do you think of the principal as a character as as this director that suddenly appears that is an analog to god I mean, this is the same person who's presumably speaking to Hoshi. Uh, but I was not entirely certain whether this is the same person who is telling her the future, because it seemed like in their conversation that he was sort of just goading her onward. Wait, her, by her, you mean... I'm sorry, he. <laughs> okay, I just wasn't sure who we were talking about. I'm sorry, that character gender wise sometimes confuses me uh but it is a he according to the literature so i should rephrase that uh what do you think about this character the principal uh that also could be construed as the director sometimes it's referred to as god uh what role does this character play like why why is this the episode that we get so much of it and what what like just tell me a little bit about it, because I think that it, it does require some clarity. Uh, well, I'm going to stop you there and say I don't know that we're going to get the clarity. But in the overall arc, and especially within this episode, the implication, and I, I don't think it's an implication, I think it's actually stated. It's like all of these characters exist outside of the original plan and the way i sort of think about this is we're not dealing with a god who creates from whole cloth and just you know there there is one universe and one plan and that is god's plan but the way that god implements that is sort of by creating a bunch of things and then trying out different scenarios and so if god has a world um and God wants it to progress in a certain way. God can try. It's it's sort of like editing a, a painting or something. You're adding a layer here. You're removing something over here. Um, and if God doesn't like it, God can just remove that layer and throw it away. But in this particular case, it's a whole storyline of, of individuals. And God has removed them from the equation. And now they're just bouncing around in these alternative existences that God has created, but isn't that aren't part of the main storyline. And this sort of dovetails into the situation in which um, 
they actually get to see and experience the the true timeline um, that should have happened or would have happened um, had they lived what God intended. Um, but then they they live it, they experience it, and they understand it's that is not their fate, and they're not allowed to continue going there. And you know, in certain cases, like Nozomi would be dead, so that wouldn't be great for her. But you know. The, that's the normal, regular life that people, that those characters are supposed to live. It's just, there was a video game about this as well, I think, where... Is that Ultima? No, it's not Ultima. At the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the game, you, you have to do something um, to, like, spirit your consciousness away into another form. And at the, the end of the actual game is, yes, you did that, but what happened was it simply duplicated your consciousness. And the consciousness that is you continues on this planet that's dying and hurtling towards extinction, while as the other consciousness, which is still you, was created and is on its way to salvation. And you simply have to live with the fact that, you know, your your existence is the one that will die, um, while as the you, the other you will continue on into the future. And in fact, this is also sort of the concept that I think a lot of people are horrified by when we talk about, you know, the transporter above in, in Star Trek, which teleports people from place to place. But um, unless it's actually teleporting matter through time and space, then what it's doing is measuring the positions of all your atoms and recreating those at a different location and destroying the existence of you that is here. But if you didn't destroy it, then you'd literally just be duplicating yourself and you have one one set of you here and one set of you there. And it's sort of terrifying to think of like, well, what? what happened like it's not the same person it may be the same position of atoms <laughs> and that position of atoms continued in a way that the original position would have continued had it been there but it's not the same thing and one of them was absolutely destroyed and the other one was absolutely created and so it's not the same consciousness so i i admire that this episode only six episodes in so we're at the middle uh is ballsy enough or brassy enough to just like dive right into giving us the solution. <laughs> like they're trying to get home and they find a way to do it. And it turns out that there's no home to go in to go home to, uh, whether that's truly the case or not, it doesn't matter because they go to their own graduation in this kind of weird ghostly scene, uh, and they see themselves graduate. And when they leave, it's like some of them are like, well, we graduated. Now what? It's like they're not if it, it they, they've they've resolved they've resolved. A lot of them have resolved to ride this arc into space and not continue on their journey uh, to try to get home because they've moved on. And I just, I just love that that's the sixth episode, you know, like where are they even going from here is where you, what you think when you're watching this, like if that, if that's no longer the goal, at least for most of them, like, like you, you brought up, uh, you brought up Nozomi, which is great because her story was about chasing the light and she had this hope and she was the most hopeful character because the light represented to her uh, a beacon, a beacon that was signaling everyone back like she had a purpose and she had she had the guiding light 
the guardian spirits would show her the way and it turns out that she's dead <laughs> and that maybe that light was not what she thought it was maybe, maybe the it light is hope- supposed to be the light of drawing you towards heaven right you people talk about near-death experiences i saw a light i, I thought the same thing mm-hmm. um it's either that or you know the, just the light like that's it it and was she's a moth yeah like a moth to a flame <laughs> um we also get a new character in this episode and it's funny because i wanted to mention it in the previous episode but it makes more sense to talk about it here we hear his voice in the previous episode do you remember what he said it's the character of yamabiko the dog a big black hound who appears feels like out of nowhere but in sort of this stockade of of food items uh he says something to is it nagara because now i'm thinking yeah so he says something to nagara in the previous episode but it's just his voice we hear he said there's still time there's still time but then he appears uh and we learn a lot more about him in episode eight, so we won't dwell too much here. But I did have to mention that he is voiced by the same actor who voices Chikai from Sarazamai. That's where you chime in with his name. I can't remember his name every time. Pinchiro Suda. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I thought you were going to continue that thought, so I just like, left that there. Cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, um, he he, you know he he has like he just has like the bad guy. He just has the bad guy voice, so he kind of gets cast in like these either like these scumbag roles or like these wise narrator roles, like doing the same voice. And here he's a dog, and he makes dog sounds at one point, which is just great. The dog sounds are great. Um, I will say this in episode eight again, but like, I mean, I don't have to mention it twice. But what I'm trying to say is that his voice is very good for a dog and not so great for a middle schooler (laughs) that middle schooler has been smoking a lot of cigarettes and like doing some doing some bad bad well you know sometimes you know if you're if you're if you've been in that world for like five thousand years like you're probably going to develop a chain smoking habit at some point yeah that, that that kid's been through a lot uh but yeah, I mean, this this episode, besides all that, I think it's about um, it, it's about fate versus like being able to control your own destiny. Like, you know, the, the kids when they're young and they're full of hope, they think that they can change the world, and you could just splice yourself into your own graduation. I don't, I don't know, but Hoshi was 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 saying no you can't do that you can't there's things you can do and there's things you can't do you should focus on what you can do not in these like pie in the sky dreams that you've got but in the end i guess hoshi was kind of right and they were also kind of right because you still have to try right yep yeah with nozomi is really at that point pushing like against the you know Against the idea of, um, I think Tommy and Nagara are both like pushing that, like they did that, like, well, even if the future is predetermined, like, you know, we still need to, we we still kind of need to see it and go through with it. 
And of course, you know, Nozomi's opinion starts to change after after she sees what that future is and that she just doesn't exist anymore in it. Um, Good point. Also, yeah. I don't want to like patting myself on the back for that. Also, also, I think it's interesting that like, even if they had continued on that path, on that path, like that normal path, they still kind of would have ended up in a similar situation. Or like after they graduate, what do they do? Like now, they're, now they're adults. They're adults. Like you know, do they go? So they go to college. So they get a job. You know, what what do they do? That's interesting because that brings us back to episode one, where the school is kind of the safety zone. Like everything outside the school is a black, amorphous unknown. And everything inside the school is known, but it, they, they've, it's almost like they're starting to outgrow the school. And then they're thrown out into this world where there's economies and there's all sorts of new challenges for them. Uh, but this is the first time that we start to get the sense that maybe they're going to push those boundaries out farther to explore the world outside of these safety zones that they've been in. Um. But man, it depresses them all out. <laughs> they all leave really bummed. And uh, I particularly was like, oh, that goddamn principal. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's such a dick, too. He's so awful. Yeah, well, Except, he's just sort of indifferent. I mean, it's I mean, really they probably something. are. Principals really are probably indifferent, despite the fact that they... They seem to care while you're there, but once you're out the door. I like this because we're also talking about God and you're pretty much like, <laughs> God is God's indifferent. Yeah. And I mean, God may be a dick. We don't, we don't the works of the Lord are inscrutable. Um, I guess that's pretty darn true. He describes sunny boy in some ways. <laughs> Uh, everyone who makes a story though kind of becomes a god and if you're really obnoxious about it like Stephen King you just write yourself in as sort of the de facto god in a schlubby sweater or whatever Uh, flannel schlubby flannel Uh, but some are more skillful than others I'm not saying that, uh, that the director has written themselves into the story as god here Uh, but you know, it's hard not to see a metaphor where like someone is literally like changing the the real as it's playing or messing up how the story presented presents itself, uh, how the outcome comes out. Anyway, this all gets pushed aside and we're into episode seven road book. I don't want to spend too much time on this one because I think it's less there's less there's less that actually happens in it but it starts off with a this cabal that's been formed to judge and punish nagara for doing this to them uh which is weird because they're way out there it's hard to know how they're even like getting all this information like no, it's because they have um, two of that members, two of the members of that society, the Beatniks. I've been keeping an eye on him. They've been traveling the different worlds. That's cool that they can do that. <laughs> anyway, they send an assassin named Komori <laughs> or Bat to deal with him. Uh, and while everyone 
is sort of figuring out their path and and uh, either deciding to go off and explore this multiversal whatever it is the the world at large the this world's out there uh some of them have decided to stick with nagara and and i don't know if they're sticking with the plan per se but they're they're staying together separate from that group and uh and nagara ends up going out and he finds this balance beam not balance beam he finds this uh vertical the horizontal pole like horizontal bars he finds horizontal bars like you'd find at a playground where you can do little flips and he goes up to it and he flips over and it turns out to be a trap and this is my favorite bit it's just the whole world flips with him and the the show is just so artful and like imaginative and it uses so many different ways to express its themes and it's and not like they look like themes when you see them in the context of the greater thing but in the moment they're just really fun sort of set pieces and because gravity has flipped uh he goes falling out into the sky and he ends up in this world where a bunch of people are building this tower, the tower of Babel, I believe. And, uh, it's supposed to be a tower to heaven and they just pick up these stones and it's very authoritarian. Somebody's barking orders at them. Uh, does he have a whip? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. No, he just, he's just an authority figure who has the power to sort of push him around and get him to do what he wants. But there's kind of that happiness and, servitude thing that's happening here where people are just happy to have something to do because i mean these are these are the these are the people these are the students that have well presumably they're the students that have been stuck in this universe for however many years and after a while they just need a they just need to be pointed in a direction and told that this needs to be done so that they can work all day and go to the bar and eat some bugs (laughs) flirt with the cute waitress dream of the cave of wonders in which the stars fall from the sky from, from the ceiling you can see the stars in the ceiling how does that work out don you know it i honestly don't know if it does or does not work out like from our perspective on the outside doesn't look like it works out because those aren't those aren't really stars no, what are they? Um, they're sort of uh, not the word isn't par- they're they're predators that are using star-like I don't know mimicry to uh, attract and lure unsuspecting builders, and they eat them. Yeah, so they're they're basically glowworms, uh, but like they're like Venus flytraps, but for people. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Have you ever heard of glowworms? They they really are a thing in caves where they 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 use a little bit of light to attract like the bugs that live in the cave, and then when the the bug goes up towards the light, they're always chasing the light. Those bugs. Mm-hmm. When they go up towards the light, they get snatched because it's a false kind of hope. And uh, 
Yeah, it, it was just kind of a funny scene too because he was just like, he was just like, I can't believe they're real. And of course, you could kind of see, like, whenever a story does that, you're like, oh, okay, something bad is about to happen. But I mean, we also had brought this up in a conversation before, but we really don't understand what death is in the show, like what it means. Like, can you die? It's not really clear that in the many this worlds, they often refer to their to the way that they live, the way that they're kind of trapped as a stasis, like an unmoving time. Uh, they don't seem to grow older and they don't seem to, uh, I don't know if they can die, but in episode eight, where they have all those growths on them and they turn into these red scar pustule stones. Very, very lovely description. I mean, it's a very Sorry. lovely thing. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what they are exactly, but. Uh, Tumors. Tumors, sure. They're like crystalline tumors. They look like something out of Final Fantasy. Um, Another video game reference. Yes, yes. I've been playing Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise, and there's something very much like that. Is that is that the one where like he says bullshit and then he turns on some lip biscuit on his cell phone and walks out? Yes, it is. That is All right, exactly that's like the. It. That's like one of two things I know about. The other thing is I'm going to kill chaos. Oh my God. It's so great. He's just like, I'm gonna kill, where's chaos? Oh, I'm going to kill him. I can't wait to punch that guy in his face. And then they're like, but you're chaos. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is so sad. Alexa played panic at the disco or whatever <laughs> I don't know they're all the same to me <laughs> I, I, I take personal offense at panic at the disco being the same as Limp Biscuit, but on a long I, enough timeline <laughs> on a long enough timeline I'm sure they are it's you know it, 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 it's, a, it's kind of um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's all kind of like this it's all like in the same parking lot to me i mean actually i mean i wasn't saying that they were the same it's just that it just seems like that would be something he would also like yeah it's um, it works for me uh yeah. i i did not finish the game because i got kind of bored of punching things but <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that but anyway i'm off track we're we're going long here let's yeah. get to it um yeah. Victoria, I'm going to have you take over this one. Is there anything about this episode you wanted to talk about? I mean, I, I glossed over a lot of the, like, minute of it. We're talking about seven, right? Seven, yeah. Minutiae? Yeah. A minutia. The detail. <laughs> I'm sorry. Minutae. Yeah, I, I, really like ep- I really like this episode. It's, um, Me too. Just as it's as it's like as it's like standalone vignette, the kind of the workers in the this world where they're building the tower are likened to worker ants very unsubtly through like an early in an earlier anecdote in this episode. And you know, it's it, it's it's relatable that they're kind of doing these they're 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 working, they're doing these repetitive tasks to get, you know, to get a little pay, to keep themselves busy and to build toward a dream that they know is, you know, that they, they know is untrue. Like they, um, Futatsuboshi, two star, the, um, 
the person I've ever befriends who then gets eaten by the bugs is um, very open that, you know, they don't, they don't really believe the tower, this upside down tower they're building is going to go to heaven. They know that the stars in the cave aren't real, but just that, just having that hope keeps them alive. And I think we've, I think we've all been there. Hey, see, (laughs) I want to, I want to just, (laughs) they know that the stars aren't real, but they still look, I think they think the stars are real. That can keep them alive. But I think if they knew that they were giant um, monsters hell-bent on eating them, they might not feel the same way about those stars. I mean, that's true. I think think the point is that, like, they like the idea of trying, you know, of this this thing existing to try without actually going in and finding out what what it actually is and discovering the real dangers. They just kind of admire the possibility from a distance. I mean, in my job, I... I also know that I have no hope of retiring early. <laughs> I have no hope of getting my pension or whatever, my uh, social security to its fullest. It's all just, it's all just this like empty dream that you could like retire to Florida at this point. So I definitely, I definitely vibe. <laughs> I definitely vibe with the, the worker ants in the story. Um, and it's interesting that Nagara chooses to flip the world anyway and sort of like see it for what it is uh, he he goes and finds out that the top really is the bottom and that's why and, and that the, the person who was who flipped the world previously his power is to flip the world and he's doing that to keep that hope just out of reach because without it, no, no, even if they know it's fake without it, they don't want to build a tower to nowhere. It's like, you need that. You need some motivation. Even if it's just, for example, buying a lottery ticket to a $2 million jackpot, even though, you know, someone's going to get it. It's just not you. It's not two million. Billion. It was billion. We're we're way up there now. Yeah. That one was one, by the Dumped way. In. Somebody got Dumped it. Into the lottery, by the way. Oh great! Like it's a bad idea. Just don't do it. I I don't want to win. Honestly, <laughs> I think I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I'd know what to do with that money. I I I've heard stories of someone who won, and. Uh, no, it wasn't that they won. It was that they inherited their their family company. It's like a famous like company too, and they gave it all away. And then afterward, they were like, "Shit, I shouldn't have given it away. I should have <laughs> used that money to operate within, you know, to operate and and get the policies and get the and do do the good that I wanted to put out into the world." But said, it, oh. mm, go ahead. Don't a lot of lottery winners get murdered. That too. That too. <laughs> like, I like to think I'm not surrounded by bloodthirsty murderers, but you never know. Oh no, there's there are definitely people I wouldn't put past like killing me. I think there's a um, <laughs> they, had a, they yeah. had a motive. I mean, I'm there's, thinking of killing not you. That right I, not now. that I made unusual enemies. There are just they're just you know they're just people. Hey, there are just people I think would do it. <laughs> um, Komori was his old friend. It turns out. He knew him from the ch- from a childhood playground, and what I I think is interesting about the character is that 
he had talent. And this is back to one of the subjects we were talking about before. He had, he worked hard. And Nagara's, I think it's his mom, is like, if you if you want to, you can get that good too. You just have to practice and do it as much as this kid does and see how much he can do. And Komori just loved to do it. He loved to do it. He loved to go upside down and hang like a bat. And what did he get for that? What did he get for having all this talent? He got like a cruel nickname. And now he's like an umbrella bat in this alternate world. Now he's an umbrella bat. Most bats hang upside down. Do we call them umbrellas? No, but he but looks he like, an, like umbrella. an umbrella. Or, um, he ha- or he has an umbrella. Yeah, he might just have an umbrella. I don't know. But <laughs> I, anyway, the point is that like you can have all this talent and people will still find a cruel way to frame it. Like just because you're smart and funny or whatever doesn't mean people aren't going to find the shittiest way of celebrating that. No, don't, don't be too talented. Don't be too talented. That's a good, (laughs) that's a good lesson. Maybe, maybe talented enough that people like you, but not too talented because then they'll someone other you. Yeah. It's like, don't let it go to obsession. Don't, don't become obsessed with being upside down. (laughs) Okay, last episode. Uh, we're into the episode, which is a flashback that Yamabiko tells the others over f- a fireside chat uh, in which he regales them with his time that he was a regular student pre-dog and he met a, a girl named Kodama and sort of her group. It, it feels cultish to me at times. But, this uh, feels like a fairy tale. It feels like a fairy um, tale. Would you would you say that Yamabiko is uh, Snow White in the in the Seven Dwarves in this case? I mean, wh- that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it actually in the like how you would in like, the tradition of real, um, not real, but of of actual fairy tales of of you know. But well, we the way it's presented to us, the sort of recollection, the the turning into the dog, the meeting of a mythical individual, war, um, the implications of you know the the characters, um, their natures betraying them. It's it's it it definitely it's very thought provoking and very it's very beautiful. It looks cool as fuck. The, the backgrounds are really painterly in this episode. The contrast and the character war is really striking. Like I, I want to say, it kind of reminded me of some like the old Yoshitaka Amano art for Ooh. like Final Fantasy. I was thinking, yeah, there yeah. Was another one. Okay, I was I'm also thinking of Vampire Hunter D, which I think was. Oh uh, yeah, that's also yeah, that was also him. Was him? Yeah. No. Um, All right, same brain cell. Uh, Kodama has a power which is that she can direct all things (laughs) Uh, but yeah not the most descriptive power but it seems to be pretty useful I I mean that that's 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 what she does that's what we see her do she can make it night 
She can heal everyone. She can form fountains of soup in yeah, the middle the of ocean. the ocean. <laughs> I really like that moment when uh, when he's refusing her her soup or whatever it is. And <laughs> he's refusing it. And she finally gets him to drink it. But it comes up as a fountain. And he gets down on all hands, on all fours, like a dog, and starts laughing uh, at yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. Good call. And uh, I was talking about names before. Kodama means echo. So do with that what you will. Dawn. Echo the dolphin. Exactly. No. <laughs> no. God. But I'm trying to think if she's, if she's an echo. Like, who else has this sort of power? And I guess it's nobody. Um, What's the difference between directing all things creating stuff from nothing imaginatively creating stuff and creating worlds well her power was was more like could affect everything while as these other powers are a little more nebulous a little less direct okay no pun intended yes um, but she needs something existing is what you're saying or she, well, I like, saw her more like a coder. Like she Nagara's just, like, ability, like Nagara can't. Yeah, yeah, okay. But Nagara can't. He can't make soup. He might bring you to a <laughs> world that's soup, uh, and maybe that gets you to the same place you want to be. But like, he doesn't. He can't be like, this. let's let's turn this ocean into soup. Uh, well, as she can, and there's a lot of other things that she can and does do. You, you kind of wonder how her whole system fell apart. Like it sounded like she's like she has this godlike ability, and she and her group of misfits are just happy to sit around being happy until war shows up and messes everything up royally. But it's revealed that it's revealed that like the this world is Yamabiko's creation. He's kind of created this safe space for, that's probably not the right word, but kind of like this haven for himself, Kodama and her posse to live in. That's actually like shielding them from, that's actually shielding them from their emotional pain, which is being brought into them, which is being brought to them by this intruder named War. Um, so I would say maybe she's like, she's the echo of, her true self that is suffering outside this world. That's, that's poignant. I have, yeah. I, 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 I don't think I'm smart enough to understand the layers of that, but it, it sounds good. I just made it up on the spot. No, I, I would believe <laughs> anything you say right now. I am, I am your dog. All right. Well, uh, that that part did confuse me. That, that part, could you could you manifest some soup for me, and I will do. I, I I could. You want? You, I've actually got two soups. I want. I've got French onion soup, and I've got tomato soup. Which one do you want? Little of both at the same time. All right, all right. In the same bowl. Let's do it. Um, I think I think we've just <laughs> we've just done the world's worst soup splice. Mm. I'm not sure it gets worse. No. Than French onion oh. and tomato, like I'm from New England, That's and true. already Manhattan clam chowder is like it's an affront yeah. to God. 
it's kind of gross. Um, it wouldn't be bad if it wasn't called tomato. clam chowder. <laughs> it would not be like people would still eat, drink it. I think if we called it clam soup, man, it definitely doesn't have the same ring though. I have to say, when you just offered me clam soup, I was, I am not interested. <laughs> I gotta say. It's, it's like how Chicago deep dish pizza, a lot of people call it a soup bowl here. Mm, they call it an abomination, because, but that's, that's different. Because everything in the middle is just mush. What was the last time you... I've had great deep dish, by the way. Just not Chicago-style deep dish? dish? No, I'm saying that there's people here in Manhattan. Here? I'm in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone in New Jersey thinks they're from Manhattan on some level. There's an echo of you in Manhattan. (laughs) You finally made me understand. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I was going to say that clam soup sounds like it could be a line from WAP, but that, that wasn't that wasn't yeah, that wasn't very good. But no, it like, wasn't, it wasn't once, good. I, once I had it's that, that, it hurts. It was just once I had that thought, I had to exercise it in my mind. I'm like, no, no, we're going back to this. Um, anyway, that's like that's like the ring you've shown the video to other people and escaped it yourself. Yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of how my shit posts are. It's like I did a. I need more. I need more people to see this horrible thought I had. <laughs> All right, Victoria, you might be the only one who could really fully describe, in an accurate way, what happens at the end here. I know that War shows up and basically says what you said about Yamabiko, but what does he mean by Yamabiko could have stood up and taken off his shell and changed what the outcome? And that the, that the that Kodama was waiting for him, like does that mean that like the the choice to become a dog, or to stay a dog, or to stay with the traits that embody a dog, and then thus become a dog, that, that was his mistake. I think that's probably right. Honestly, I, I wasn't really clear on myself. Like for whatever, I guess I guess he was just kind of. I guess he was yeah, avoiding I, reality. Being he was being loyal. I think that was the trait that he embodied. He was loyal to her. He understood her ultimate vision was that it was to save everyone. She wanted to save everyone. She believed she could save war. And he knew, I don't know how he knew, but he knew that there was no saving war. And rather than break her dream and tell her the truth that she had to reject this being in order to save all of them. He instead remained loyal so that she could die with her, her spirit intact with her, with the pureness of her spirit intact. Um, But as a consequence, even though he was able to avoid the destruction, um, he was then consigned to this dog body, I guess. I think also it's worth mentioning um, Kodama, like it's heavily, it's heavily implied to want to, or actually stated to want to 
walk in the outside world with him. Um, she she wants she wants the truth. When she first meets War, he tells her that her tumor ridden body is uh, is ugly, and she's happy because she's like finally someone told me the truth. Um, you know, previously um, she'd been asking Yamabiko, and he was he he was he was saying he thought she was beautiful. He actually did. And then it turns out War was actually lying, saying she was ugly. But like she, she wants in a way like she wants the outside world that War is bringing in. Yeah, it's a little complicated because no, yeah. first she's I like, think oh. this, <laughs> I think this can be summed up by that One Direction Direction song. <laughs> you won't, the reason you're beautiful is because you don't know you're beautiful. <laughs> oh God, I remember that one. <laughs> Uh, excellent pop culture <laughs> reference that dovetails amazingly with Sunny Boy. It does somehow. I think there's a lot of pop culture references that dovetail in here because you can, there's a, there's room for a lot of stuff in. You can make a really good A and B. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one scene Some... had one thing that I thought was interesting was when they were talking about this happening before and how. Uh, he creates these, he creates whatever he's bringing in different worlds. And at one point they showed the tree and on one side of it, it was clean. Like it was, it was, it was not burning. And on the other, it was burning with blue flame. Is this a connection between him and the Island and the blue flame we saw earlier? Cause now we know he was there possibly that he's been there, possibly. Mm. Yeah, I, I clocked that. I didn't really think too much about it. I'll be honest. Okay, I, it's just it seemed like it seemed like such a <laughs> yeah. such a specific choice to make it blue and to use that it tree. It absolutely is. So I wasn't sure if they were trying to connect him to the events on the island. I feel like I'm talking about Lost with all this mystery box stuff. Yeah, if I recall, I Lost ended terribly, wonder. so I hope the uh, parallel is not apt. It did not end terribly. There was a Superman punch. <laughs> Somebody uncorked the sink, un- unclogged the drain, and all the mystical water <laughs> ran out. Does this, like isn't this why you watched? <laughs> Waiting for that to resolve? Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I, I don't I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe <laughs> we put a maybe we put a cork in that for now. Wait, no. A, a, yeah. And uh, we come back to it later if it's relevant. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've just solved Sunny mm. Boy. Did you ever think I don't of that? think you have. <laughs> just gonna. What's the reward you get for solving Sunny Boy? Um, What's the holdover power? a different title for the show. <laughs> mm, yeah. What would you call the show if you could, ideally? Wouldn't be Sunny Boy. That's a good name for it. Wouldn't be Sunny Boy. It's like, all right, I'll make another dated reference, like Better Than Ezra. Yep. Do you remember that band? It's better Than Sunny Boy. Ah, there you go. I'm yeah. going to go with It's yeah, Always that's... Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's it's always sunny in this world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's where we're going to end this episode. We've gone a little bit long, but it was great talking to you both. Uh, all right. 
as we say always at the end of the show. One, two, three. Okashiku. Okashiku. Ikoyo. Ikoyo. Wonderful. Yeah, it was like the best one. It was so good. Literally, <laughs> I sound like a jazz. Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. Ah. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday. Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice. of all time this is champs in the making a pokemon bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the pokemon video game franchise put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is starmie gives me like organic free range gluten-free like fidget spinner energy swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands <laughs> i don't like weird ears face it's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. <clears throat> I think Vito King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.